Hello, and welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. Our correspondents cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much, much more. We have a fantastic show for you this week. We're going to talk to contributor Paula Schaefer about author Colleen Hoover, who's real big with the book Talk Kids, a very popular writer who occupies many spots on the New York Times bestseller list. I don't exactly understand why, but then again, I don't understand anything anymore, which is why I have contributors. Daniel Cohen will be here to talk about The Great British Baking Show, which I feel like I understand, but he understands even better, and he'll be along in a bit. But first, we're going to talk to Scott Gold, our resident Star Wars expert, about Andor, the new Star Wars series now airing on Disney+. Plus. We'll be right back after this musical interlude. Star Wars season again on our television. It seems like it's always Star Wars season these days, and that means we get to talk to our resident Star Wars expert, or at least one of our two resident Star Wars experts. Scott Gold is back to talk about Andor, now airing on Disney+. Plus. Hello, Scott. Hey, Neil. Great to be back on the podcast. Yes, of course. So I feel like um, every time a Star Wars show comes up, we're, we, we record these segments and we're always like this show is great you should watch it we said that about the book of boba fett and then we said that about obi-wan kenobi and then you know somewhere along the line those shows start to go downhill and you know we we could record a second episode saying actually that show kind of sucked um i feel like you know we're at the it's great stage of andor yeah, you know, uh, Disney Plus has been really good with roping us in in the first few episodes and then, you know, kind of throwing filler at us in the middle and then doing their best to sum up everything, you know, with a big bang at the end. Um, the one thing that hasn't changed for me is that, you know, the other shows, well, you know, Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, um, and, um, you know, the other Star Wars shows that are, that are coming out of Disney Plus right now is that they're usually pretty fun. And I love that. You know, when I was a kid, Star Wars was fun. It wasn't, you know, like this, you know, very serious, like kind of Starship Troopers, gritty, you know, Vietnam and space kind of thing, which is great because at the time, you know, it was, you know, uh, an escape from actual Vietnam. Well, I mean, it was after Vietnam, but that mentality of what the country was going through. So, um, you know, Star Wars was always fun for me and those shows were fun. And now we have Andor, which is one of the first, Star Wars show that I don't know if I would describe it as fun. Yeah, I've watched the first couple of episodes and I I did think they were good. Yes. They were, they were well acted, they were atmospheric, they were suspenseful. Um and they, you know, there wasn't a lot of fat, but they weren't there wasn't also there wasn't much fun. There weren't even really that many creatures. There's one kind of like goofy sad robot uh, who, as you put it out, put it out in your review, resembles uh, greatly resembles Wally, and a lot like Wally, and um, also a little bit like Vincent from the Black Hole. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's mostly just like humans hunting each other and stealing things. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're getting right to the you know to the crux of the the rebels 
versus the evil empire. You know, when it really comes down to it, you know, in in essence, this part of Star Wars is you know the alliance versus the Nazis. That's really what it comes down to. And you know, who 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 are the evil empire? Uh, ex- you know, if not you know the Nazis of uh, you know Nazi Germany, World War Two. So you know that puts us you know on the side of the rebels and makes us root for them. And you know they're very clearly evil, um, and you know not like morally ambiguous. But on the other hand. Our, our rebel heroes are starting to get a little bit more morally gray. And we saw a lot of that in Rogue One, which Andor is a prequel to. Uh, in that show, we saw Cassian Andor, and when we first meet him, he's like shooting a fellow uh, rebel conspirator or spy uh, in the back because he's like injured and he can't, he can't you know, he's going to get caught. So, you know, sorry, bud, I'm just going to... I'm just going to shoot you in the back and continue on my mission. So from the very beginning, we knew that Cassie and Andor was like, wow, like this guy's a little dark, like he'll do whatever it takes to complete the mission, even if it's like, you know, shooting an innocent person dead, which we get again in episode one of Andor. Well, I don't know if the person he shoots is exactly innocent, but uh, he's... Well, who, who among us is innocent, Neil, really? Right, right. But yes, but he does... He does shoot someone who doesn't really need to be shot. So, yeah. and this is our hero we're talking about. Um, and you know, the, the character I like uh, so far the most in the first couple episodes is the corporate cop who's chasing him. He's kind of this like do-gooder cop who looks a lot like Kyle McLaughlin from uh, Twin Peaks era um, or Blue Velvet era even. And uh, you know, he's got uh, he's got that kind of gee whiz vibe to him. I'm wondering. And I haven't again. I haven't seen the third episode yet, and I'm sure this doesn't happen yet. I'm wondering if he doesn't end up joining the rebellion in some way. He doesn't. I mean, that's a that's a really really interesting point. I mean, we see him. You haven't seen the third episode, but you know, in his in the the little mini arc that he gets in the first three episodes, we see him going from you know very you know corporate bureaucrat, you know, kind of you know very. Uh, he's like very much angling for position and, you know, he's got, he's tailored his uniform just right and everything. And, you know, by the third episode, he gets out into the field and, uh, you know, as, as soldiers would say in the shit, pardon my language. And he gets to see how brutal like this whole security business can be. And we don't really know how he's going to react to that. But at the, you know, for now, he's definitely got a very inspector Javert thing going on. Like he's like going to hunt this guy down and he's going to find him and he's going to, you know, bring him to justice. But I think that things might change a little bit for him when he finds out the realities of, you know, what that means and how violent, uh, you know, his job really is when he's not, you know, sitting in an office pushing papers and ordering people around. Right. So this is, this is some pretty seriously, you know, like as you put it in your, um, in your piece, this isn't the Star Wars of the Force and Space Wizards and monster battles. You know, this is like a, it's like a cop show almost. Yeah, it's like a spy show, cop show, war show. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I wrote about and that I said that it does really well, um, and it's both a freedom and a challenge for Andor, is that there are no Jedi. There are no Sith. Nobody even says the word Jedi. There are no lightsabers. Uh, you know, it just, they might as well not even exist in this universe, which makes a lot of sense because of their 
rarity in the actual universe of Star Wars. I mean, we're used to seeing Jedi everywhere because that's the main focal point of all the Star Wars stories that we've seen so far for the most point. But, you know, if you consider the entire universe, there are, you know, barely any Jedi running around. Like, nobody, nobody really gets to see them. Uh, so, you know, they're talked about in hushed tones or whatever. Um, but uh, so it makes perfect sense to me. And it's really interesting to see that, you know, the whole Star Wars universe has a lot more going on to it than just Jedi and Sith. Yeah. All right. So uh, Star Wars, I would say the series so far have have tended toward the mystical and almost silly. I mean, I love The Mandalorian. It you know changed the game and, and it brought Star Wars back to what originally made it fun. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of nice to see something with a different tone. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of room for that in Star Wars. It's a big universe. There are a lot of stories to tell. And uh, I, I think Andor is doing a good job of that. You know, they're, they're, they're being original and they're going a little bit against the grain and they're making a show that, you know, this isn't a kid's show. You know, it's, it's not the type of thing that's going to be compelling for, you know, a, a kid of like eight or nine or however old you were when you first, you know, really started watching Star Wars and getting into it. Um, but, uh, you know, for adults, it's like, wow, like this is, uh, you know, this is a dark, compelling show about, you know, real people, you know, we feel like these people are, you know, real people, like we can kind of understand what they're going through and what they're up against and, you know, what their goals and names and dreams are. And, um, you know, it's a refreshing approach and I'm, you know, honestly, like is, is kind of dark and physically like visually dark as the show often is, it's got a lot in common with Blade Runner in that respect, that kind of, you know, almost, you know, bordering on cyberpunk kind of. So it's got this very, you know, dark kind of feel to it, but it's something that's different and engrossing. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm digging it. I want to see where it goes. You know, is it going to kind of turn a little bit and, you know, hinge on hope or is it going to stay like pretty gritty and depressing? And another thing we have to, you know, contend with is the fact that we know how Cassian Andor's story ends. Uh, you know, that's the story of Rogue One. Like we know... And spoiler alert to anybody who hasn't seen Rogue One out there, but we know that he does not make it out alive, man. So, you know, how is that going to play into the story? And, you know, how is that going to play into, you know, how we feel about him and how we feel about the, you know, the the narrative that's going on? So uh, I am definitely intrigued. I'm liking that it's different. I'm liking that it's a little dark, a little gritty. Uh, and, uh, you know, even though it's not fun, I'm, you know, I'm still... I can still really appreciate what they're going for and, you know, to a really large degree, what they're accomplishing here. We should add that Cassian Andor is played as in the movie by Diego Luna, and he's quite good. Uh, the cast also includes Stellan Skarsgård and Fiona Shaw as Andor's mother, and they're both, you know, actors who can who know how to carry a scene. And uh, the whole cast is really good, I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm liking Andor so far. Again, though, I'm going to preface it by saying, Scott and I have done this before where we've gotten on and been like, this is a great show. And then, then suddenly there's some sort of, you know, mod scooter race or, or something, something, something really dumb happens. And I, I find myself thinking, well, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> but <laughs> suddenly I feel like an eight year old. Andor is not going to leave you feeling like that. I don't think, I think, like you said, if you like uh, Homeland and the Americans and Blade Runner and The Sopranos and The Wire. This is the Star Wars show for you. Why yes, not? definitely. This is the, you know, The Wire of Star Wars. I dig that. <laughs> Quality television on Disney+. Plus. All right, Scott, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. There's a Great Star being Wars. here, Neil. So next week. Bye.
best-selling author does not necessarily mean being a good author or a, uh, a good writer, but there, it's, it's its own sort of skill set, and we have been amazed at Booking Film Globe recently at the sales of a woman named Colleen Hoover, who at one point uh, earlier in the summer, I believe, occupied seven or eight of the titles on the New York Times bestselling fiction list. And I was like, well, how, how is that even possible? Um, even for James Patterson or Stephen King, that seems somewhat impossible. But, but there she was, Colleen Hoover, a writer who, if you're not a 15-year-old girl, you've probably never heard of, but she was there. And I assigned Paula Schaefer to read the oeuvre of Colleen Hoover because I didn't want to. And, uh, and Paula is here to talk to me about Colleen Hoover. Hello. Hey, yeah, I did. I suffered through some Colleen Hoover. I, I'm open to things. I read things. I read a lot of uh, genres and a lot of things aimed at many age groups. And this was painful. And you have a teenage daughter or a, a, daughter, who, a daughter who was until somewhat recently a teenager. I actually don't remember how old she is, but uh, but but you know you you're closer to that world than maybe I would be. But yeah, so you you uh, you delved in, and you know in your piece you had really positive things to say about Colleen Hoover's work ethic and her ability to market herself and to appeal to her audience, which is something that I I mean I could probably take a few pages out of that notebook. Uh, trying to sell my own books, but uh, but the actual work itself is is not um, not something you'd recommend to to anyone. Uh, you know, it, it's fascinating that she has figured out her lane and just is speeding down that highway because she's carving a career for herself out of kind of nowhere. You know, just from some little town in Texas, she was a social worker. The story goes that she just wanted a book on Kindle. And so she did it, and then boom, she's everywhere uh, due to the magical power of book talk and you know Instagram and all of those things. And now she has book deal, like official book deals, and her books are being adapted into movies, and it's all crazy. Sure, but I could, I could, I could go on book talk. Uh, I could start doing book talk tomorrow. It would it would lead to nothing. <laughs> yep. It would lead to nothing, right? Someone's gonna be like, "Oh my God, Neil Pollock's on Book Talk selling his books." Yeah, it's it's some magic, some some dark magic crossroads demon deal. I don't know, but just right place, right time, right understanding of the market, right way of connecting, and like a wholesome like, "Oh shucks, here I am. I'm a big fan of this. Wow, you're paying attention to me. Like, oh golly, like just it's just this whole thing that she just understands very well somehow." What are the books about? Um, toxic masculinity and the sad girls who love those toxic, toxic men, um, by and large. Like, she does things that, that are a little outside the box. Like, um, you know, like one of her novels is supposed to be like slam poetry. And one has a whole bunch of lyrics from the Avid Brothers. And, you know, that band has a rabid fan base. So then that brought people to her books as like a product and a thing to buy and consume um you know she just does things to try to make the reading experience a little different 
and that seem that seems to surprise people and catch them off guard. But mostly, it reads. <laughs> These are kind of like dark romances. Yeah, it's kind of like um, to me, it reads like a really angsty high school girl who's like imagining what it would be like to be in a toxic re- relationship as a real grown up. Um, like not actual experience with those worlds, just like an idea of those worlds, which would make sense because if she was a social worker, she saw a lot of dark shit. So you're saying she was a social worker and she saw a lot of toxic relationships uh, going down, um, you know, and, and in the hands of an art, artist, that's a, that's a very heady subject matter. Yeah, and, you know, like her, her most famous book is called It Ends With Us, and it's about a girl named Lily Bloom who falls in love with some guy named Ryle something or another, or Riley is maybe how it's supposed to be pronounced. And, you know, he's a surgeon and he's so hot and he looks great in scrubs and has sexy arms and boy, does he know how to love on her. But sometimes he gets really mad and beats her. And it's told with this like flashback of her reading her journals from when she was 15, wherein she wrote her journals to Ellen DeGeneres because she was a big Ellen DeGeneres fan. And she recounts to Ellen her father abusing her mother and her falling in love with a homeless boy who was crashing in the empty house next door. And like, it's like you don't want to make fun of of domestic abuse. Like, like I'm not trying to make fun of the, this this thing. It should be serious, but it's framed in the context of a 15 year old writing letters to Ellen DeGeneres. Like, what? Yeah. Right. And who among us hasn't hasn't fallen into that trap of hooking up with a with a good looking surgeon who beats them? It's true. It's true. I have so many. It happens. <laughs> Most most women go go down that path before they settle on they they settle for someone you know maybe maybe less glamorous but but kinder yeah which you know spoiler alert in the book the homeless guy from next door is now not homeless and he's a wildly successful very hot chef who is oh he doesn't just have a home no he has a business <laughs> so let me tell you those chefs. So many of them are so wildly successful. Yes, there's if there's one thing we think about with like wild success and extreme financial stability and emotional stability, it's people working in the restaurant industry. Right. Like that's the main reason they go into it for the love right. of money. Right, as you saw in the works of Anthony Bourdain and in the recent show, the chef, uh, not the chef, um, the bear. The bear. Yep. The bear. It did actually happen in Chef uh, with John Favreau, where a guy starts a Cubano food truck and and is not only becomes a millionaire but has to fight uh, between he, uh, Sofia uh, Vergara and Scarlett Johansson are fighting for his yes. affection. But, but I, I digress. Uh, so Colleen Hoover. Uh, so th- this is this is the uh, this is the lane she travels, and so she's got her fans are not grown-ups like you and me right they're mostly it, it's it's like the young adult and new adult which is a new category which is like the 18 to 24 maybe up to 30 demographic right who, that's that's the book talk demographic yep yeah and i'm, guess, I'm guessing female i'm just guessing <laughs> yeah and her character names are just wild um I, I made a little list. Uh, Corbin Collins, Calder Cooper, Crew Crawford, 
those are three different characters from three different novels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ledger Ward, Lakin Cohen, Lowen Ashley. Like what? <laughs> Lincoln Cohen? Lakin, L-A-Y-K-E-N, Lakin Cohen. So he's Jewish. I, apparently so. Well, Cohen's not necessarily a Jewish last name, but... But yeah, all right. So, but but, I, but the, these don't sound very Jewish. <laughs> they, they are not. They're they're very. They are trauma. They are just trauma porn. They are just, you know, she's she's a dirty bird in the right way that appeals to, you know, younger women, and. All right. Well, I'm going to study um, her publicity strategies because I need some help. Uh, with with selling my own books, maybe, maybe I'll start going on book talk and saying, "Hey, you guys, I'm just a regular guy." <laughs> Look at me, I'm in Texas too. I'm in Texas, just a regular guy writing satirical novels about the pandemic and gentrification. Hey, teenage <laughs> girls, check it out. Think think think, think that's gonna fly. I think that's an excellent plan, and I look forward to documenting your um, rise to success. Yeah, me too. All right, Paula Schaefer read the works of Colleen Hoover, so you don't have to. Thanks for stopping. You bet. Yet another cooking competition has entered the fray for another season. This time, the chefs are not being eliminated. Home bakers are being asked politely, very politely, with lots of hugs, to leave the tent. And we're talking, of course, about the Great British Baking Show, which is in its umpteenth season, currently airing on Netflix. And Daniel Cohen has written about it as he writes about all the cooking shows for us. He's laid the odds for who's going to win. And Daniel is here to talk to me about the Great British Baking Show. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I am well. I, I'm not a baker. I, I do get inspired to cook by you know Top Chef and Master Chef and Chopped and all that, but I don't I don't find myself interested. I, I like eating baked goods. I don't I don't necessarily like like baking, but I love watching uh, the Great British Baking Show. Even though, yeah, you know, I think you will admit at this point that like it's kind of a it feels a little stale, like stale bread, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that's true to an extent, but also this season, they dropped many of the COVID restrictions that made the last couple of seasons kind of a drag to watch. Like they, they, they've, they've gone into the contestants' uh, homes, yeah, and which are you know, so we get we get a little bit a little bit of a better sense of who they are as people. Um, you know, I think that that matters to an extent. Like the the, the fact that. The, it feels less dreary, right? The last couple of seasons, it was like they were isolated somewhere in the countryside and like everyone was wearing masks when they weren't on camera and the families couldn't come eat the cake and celebrate with the party. And it was all, it was a little depressing. Yeah. And, and again, this is a format that's been around now for 13 series or seasons, as we call them in the States. And it hasn't changed very much, right? Like there's been there's been a change in who's judging it and who's presenting it, but the the actual format of the show has pretty much been the same for quite a while now. So there's no surprises, right? This is a, this is a comforting show. There's there's tradition here. We know what the first week is going to be. It's always cake week, and you know I think people are are sort of attracted to that aspect of the show above all else. The fact that there's there's cake week, there's biscuit week, there's pastry week. There's usually like one 
week where it's like it's Greek week or it's Spanish week or something. Right. Like that. <laughs> and that's, you know, I go into this in the article, but it's like, is anyone familiar with the show knows like there's no backstabbing on this show. There's no interpersonal drama on this show. Like the judges are generally pretty kind, even when somebody has made something completely inedible. And, you know, like, like, for instance, like MasterChef just ended. And, and if to watch this after that, it's, it makes your head spin because it's like, well, they get torn apart on MasterChef. And here it's, it's very gentle. It's very quiet. Right. And they also win $250,000, whereas <laughs> here, here they win a commemorative plate. That's true. But that's not all they win. Um, there's a pretty established pipeline now to cookbook authorship and like hosting cooking shows. Um, you know, actual celebrities like, you know, Ruby Tando have been created off of this show. A lot of people have. Or, or Nadia. What's, what's right. her last? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's on a several. She didn't win. She was like fifth or something. Yeah. You don't have to win to, 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 to get that. That's not part of the deal, but it's, it's, it's a, it's an incubator for people that might show up later on British cooking shows, you know, which we don't get to see very much of in the States, but they're out there and, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of publicity that comes with just being on the show and doing well. So I think that's really the allure at this point, more so than, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the cake plate. Yeah. I mean, obviously like you could, you could just buy a cake plate. <laughs> sure. And it's, and that's kind of, that's kind of going with the tradition of a lot of other British game shows where the prize is pretty negligible at the end. Like only connect, for example, which has been on the air for a stunning number of seasons at this point, and is a very, very difficult, you know, game show. Awards its winning teams a uh, lucite trophy that probably costs forty bucks to make. Yeah, but you get it. You get to have the trophy. Well, okay. So let's talk about um, contestants this year. You know, one of the things that uh, the baking show usually offers up a thirst trap or two for the male viewers. There's usually a couple of attractive young female chefs and they, obviously the, there that is in play this season as well but the real the real hottie is uh, a dude oh yeah sandro <laughs> sandro yeah. who is uh he's a na he's a nanny and and a bodybuilder he's a boxer they showed him in the ring uh throwing throwing punches he's he's this angolan dude who as i wrote in the article he looks a little bit like a like a low rent drake like he's got a dangly earring and he's got tattoos and he's just super, super jacked. Um, and he seems to be a really good baker too, which is interesting. So he'll be around for a while. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he, you put him as, as one as your top, one of your top three. He's definitely a good character. And then there's this kind of weird gay Polish guy, Janusz, Janusz. Yeah, Janusz is great. Um, he won Star Baker in the first episode, which is sort of the, the prize given every episode to the best of the, the day's he, he, he recreated a, a horrific um, <laughs> Polish uh, communist era apartment block in cake form. Yeah, that was pretty inspired. Um, he, he told the story about growing up in, you know, this sort of awful Soviet architecture. They showed it and it looked horrible. But uh, his mother, you know, the, her flat always had a big garden and there was flowers everywhere. And it was easily identifiable from the street, as he points out. So he bakes this cake where three sides of it are gray and dismal don't have any decoration at all. And then the fourth side is just overflowing with rosettes and, and, and all sorts of little frosting tinges. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So are there any other um, bakers of note uh, in this season that, yeah, cause there seems to be like, there's a, 
a vast uh, soggy bottom of bakers, as they say. You know, people who like, sure is. We're, we're gonna it, it, no, finish no better than eighth. You know. Well, I think I think Shabira is still the best of the bunch. She. Um... She's a Mal- Malay- young Malaysian woman. Yeah, they made a kind of weird comment about her uh, her showstopper. Like it, it wasn't that they didn't like it, but it, the flavors were there were too many flavors. It didn't ha- it didn't have a hero flavor, as Paul Hollywood put it. Um, but she crushed the other two challenges, and 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 honestly deserved to be on top. I thought. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so funny. Like the flavors in in um, in the show are so different than the. It's like it's like it's like a cake that's like matcha and chai and passion fruit you know and it's and pistachio or whatever and you know that's just not the flavor combinations you're just not going to get in an an american cooking show they're they're often quite odd yeah and eventually they'll move on to like cakes and pastries that you've never heard of either it's like oh make a battenberg cake and it's like well what what is that it's from the it's a habsburg imperial cake uh, with sure, the, but I mean it's 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 a Genoese sponge and three three <laughs> layers of of buttercream. Right, yeah, I, I love it. I love a good Genoese yeah. sponge. It's uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, anytime I go to the car wash, I request that. That's <laughs> you you you, ask, you request a Genoese sponge bath for yeah. your for your car. Yeah, well, you know, they got to touch it up and look nice. It's, it's... as you as you should. So uh, yeah, so but you know, it was interesting in the first episode, and by the time. Um, this airs the second episode will have happened, but right. But uh, they did a they did an American cake. They did a red velvet cake competition. <laughs> yes, uh, which they, which they described as an American cake in quotes. Like, well, it is. I guess so. But <laughs> it was invented. It's an Amer- It's an American diner staple. Um, sure. And you know they they couldn't. You know they were trying to figure out how red is red. What is crimson? Yeah, that was lovely. They they they. Uh, their recipes for the technical challenge often leave out key details. And this one left out how much food coloring to put in. Uh, so you saw a wide spectrum of colors, you know, from the very, very pale to the like blood red, almost brown cakes that some of the, uh, the lesser talented bakers made. Yeah. It's amazing. Like I think on an American show, they would have been the red velvet cakes would have been better. These, a lot of these look pretty gross. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've read defector just posted an article today about, trying to recreate the technical challenge from this episode. And it seems that the amount of time that was allotted in some of the, uh, the, 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 like the way that like you had, to, you had to make your own like rising agent out of baking soda and vinegar. And then you had to make your own frosting out of whatever. And like to do that in 90 minutes, it seemed like it was going to be a big challenge, even for a very talented baker. Um, However, it was a special challenge for the guy who forgot to turn on his oven. Oh man! Well, that was yeah. That was the that was the uh, the, the show stuff for Abdul. Yeah. He was already kind of falling apart a little bit in terms of like time management. But yeah, then he turned first turned his oven on, and it just seems like the first thing you do. It's the first thing I do when I'm making like pizza rolls. You know what I mean? Like you got to preheat. You got to preheat. The pizza won't cook unless you unless you, the oven is on. Right. Um, much we know, but that's, that's what's the, that's, what's fun about these shows. These are not professional cooks, even, even on, on uh, the, the professional cooking shows, sometimes they forget to, the ovens shut off or they, they forget to leave a burner on. It happens under, in, in the cooking. Oh, sure. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's, it's a stressful show, even if it's sort of very kind and low key about its aims, like they're trying to do difficult things in a very small amount of time, which makes it such great television. Like, 
Well, also, mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about the hosts. Uh, the, the show has the oddest hosts. I mean, the, the original hosts, Mel and Pat, were like a you know kindly British. They were slightly wry, but they were kind of a kindly British comedic duo. But at, the, at this point, like Noel Fielding and Matt Berry, I mean, I'm trying to think what the equivalent. Matt Lucas. Is. Matt, 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 it's Matt Berry. Is it not Matt Berry? No, it's Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas, yeah, no, Matt Berry would be something else. Totally different guy. Yeah. Um, but would also be good. But you know, I mean, they're essentially like. I mean, at this point, they're very mainstream. But it's like they're they're they have a history of being sort of alternative British comedians. And Noel Fielding is is the gothiest comedian I've in, in comedy history. They don't. I mean, they 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 make a a lot of fun about how they're they're literally phoning it in. They don't know anything about baking, and uh, you know, they really. I mean seem to be just punching the clock it's pretty it's, it's pretty crazy yeah i'm not <clears throat> not a huge fan of them on this show i i i'm familiar with their their comedy from 20 years ago you know i i like the mighty boosh quite a bit and i like little britain not at all um but together they just sort of they're very grating and 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 you know they sort of get in the contestants faces and irritate them and in a way that mel and pat never did which i find Certainly, it plays well for comedy. I'll, I'll grant them that, but like, it sort of seems to go against the ethos of the show a little bit. Like, I mean, there's a, there's at least once an episode where something they do is, but no, you know, when Noel Fielding is like waxing on about ghosts or vampires or whatever, that I, it's like I, it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> you know, I, I certainly find myself laughing, but but I, I just feel you know they're they're definitely like not committed. I'm trying to think of like who the equivalent. American uh, hosts would be. I mean, would you get, you know, there, I don't know if there's anyone like, is like, like uh, in Tim and Eric to host a big from impractical jokers and Joe Rogan. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Very, very strange, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that it's back. And what's your routine for watching the great British baking show? Regina, my wife and I always go get cupcakes and, uh, you know, that's we sit down on a Friday night uh, or Saturday or Saturday night, whenever we get around to watching it. We we have to eat it. We have to eat some kind of baked good while we're watching. it. <laughs> Maybe I should have a routine like that. I don't. Um, <clears throat> I typically try very hard to avoid spoilers during the week because the show airs in the UK on Tuesdays. Uh-huh. Um, but when it drops on Netflix, which is usually Friday morning, um, I, yeah, I just I don't watch it any sort of set time. Like I, I, I just. I tend to like just consume a lot of stuff in the background during the day. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll sit down for an hour and watch this and, and more like, more like four hours if I'm taking notes on it. Yeah. Um, it's, real it's, it's real good with a side of frosting. <laughs> I'll try, I'll have to give that a shot. I, I I'm, I'm not much of a baker myself is the, is the issue. So you're just, you're, yeah, exactly. Or like just even just like a piece of bread. Nice piece of butter. <laughs> <laughs> i a nice piece of bread with episode two. Yeah, yeah see how it goes. Even a, even even gluten free bread. Uh, it, oh, it, I don't. I don't I, 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 I have no time for that mess. Crackers, just some crackers. All right. Uh, well, the Great British Baking Show is on Netflix. Uh, enjoy and uh, don't don't get too claggy, Daniel. I'll try my best. Yeah. Don't try to hide it. I'ma make it my bitch. All right, thanks, 
Daniel. I hope there are many baked goods in your future. And also, thanks to Paula Schaefer for trying to explain Colleen Hoover to me. And thanks to Scott Gold for talking to me about Andor, the new Star Wars show now airing on Disney+. I'm Neil Pollock. I'm your host of this podcast, and I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. May all your cakes not have a soggy bottom. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. You can buy the books discussed on the Book and Film Globe podcast at The Book House, Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to the Bookhouse Milburn, M-I-L-L-B-U-R-N.com to shop online and support small independent booksellers. Or visit our actual physical site in Milburn, New Jersey, where you can buy books from all the authors featured on The Dark Word and the Book and Film Globe podcasts. TheBookhouseMilburn.com Audio Hopper.